We look at the cross through the eyes of the first beneficiary of Christ's death, Barabbas. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers and the people, and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, why, what crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. What an amazing stroke of luck. You could have knocked me down with a feather. Let's be honest, I was looking right down the barrel of a gun. Perhaps you've forgotten what I did, let me explain. I consider myself a freedom fighter. I believe in Judea for the Judeans, and me and my people, we will stop at nothing to get rid of the Roman occupation. Okay, I hear you saying you think that I'm really a terrorist, don't you? Well, it's a very fine line, isn't it? Today's terrorist is tomorrow's freedom fighter. You all know that. And we are at war. War is a pretty bloody business in every sense, and bad stuff happens. Innocent people get hurt. Yes, I cannot deny it. Our insurrection went horribly wrong. People got killed. Some of us, including me, got caught. I knew the risks and I was ready to, take them, ready to take them. Anyway, I'm a hero to the people. They all hate the Romans. The problem is they're too apathetic or scared to do anything about it. And yes, I agree, I got mixed up with some very dodgy people. Freedom fighting, terrorism, criminality. It all gets muddled up, you know. Not everything is black and white. But I accept that under Roman jurisdiction, I deserve the death penalty. Then a key is turned in the lock. The guard who has been beating me earlier says, you're free to go. I stagger out into the morning sunshine, blinking in the light and there is mayhem going on. 
a huge crowd is shouting, crucify him. And when they see me, they rush up, put me on their shoulders and carry me away. I look back and there's Pilate, miserable so-and-so that he is, sitting on the place of judgment with that harmless preacher from Nazareth standing in front of him. The people have chosen me ahead of him to be released. Why? I'm still trying to work it out, to be honest. He's been dead a while now. Some people saying that he's come back to life. I don't know about that. But I do know that I would be dead but for him. He took my place. He should have been released, no question. He certainly hadn't broken any Roman laws. He even told people to pay their taxes to Rome. We totally opposed that. He died in my place. Makes you think, doesn't it? I'm struggling to handle it. What should I do next with my life? I wonder if I've got it all wrong somehow. Let us pray. Jesus went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was hand to, handed it to him and unrolling it he found the place where it is written the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Father, we recognize uh, the extraordinary experience that Barabbas had. We recognize that there are uh, bonds that bind us that we too are held captive by old memories, old bitternesses, lack of forgiveness, habits. We ask that as we come to the cross afresh today, we might uh, hear the key in the door that holds us captive. As we look to the cross, today that we might walk from that place of bondage to that place of freedom, that place of shadowy darkness where we are held by all sorts of malicious influences in our lives and all sorts of bad stuff, to walk from that place to the place of light and warmth and freedom. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that on the cross you have paid the price for all that we've done wrong. We thank you that it wasn't just Barabbas's place, but our place that you took on that cross. And we rejoice and we celebrate our freedom. But we also pray today for those 
who are in prison. We thank you for the hope that the Christian gospel brings to those convicted of crimes, often heinous crimes, even murderous crimes like Barabbas's. We thank you that you are a God whose grace reaches out to the most helpless and hopeless. The most unredeemable can be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We pray for those who are in prison, for those who minister to them. We pray for the gospel work of Prison Fellowship and numerous other organizations bringing the light of Jesus into prisons and detention centers. We pray particularly for any who are unjustly prisoned. We pray for those who are seeking asylum for whatever reason, divided from, separated from their homes and families, some justly, many unjustly, all with stories to tell. We pray for those who visit them, for those who befriend them. Many in this church do that. We pray for them. And as we pray for those in prison, we cry out to you, Lord, to have mercy upon our brothers and sisters who are imprisoned or suffering because they are followers of Jesus. We pray for those who are persecuted for their faith, who long for that key to turn in the lock, who long for freedom, who long to be reunited with families, who long once again to be able to speak freely of their love for you, to fellowship with other Christians, to proclaim the goodness of God. We stand with our brothers and sisters who are persecuted for their faith. In a moment of silence, let's pray for those in prison. So as the trial of Jesus finishes and he is led out to be crucified, we look at the cross through the eyes of an African, Simon of Cyrene. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was a moment that changed my life forever. I had come up to Jerusalem for the Passover with my sons, Alexander and Rufus. It had been quite a journey from North Africa, but I had been determined to take the boys. Ever since we came to believe in Yahweh, the God of the Jews, I had longed to go to Jerusalem to see the city of David, 
celebrate the Passover there. I knew it was something that the boys would remember all their lives, and they certainly did, I can tell you that, more than I ever expected. Of course, there weren't many black people around, even though Jerusalem was crowded, and we were coming in from outside the city where we had spent the night with this, when this huge commotion began. It was a crucifixion procession. There was nothing particularly odd about that. Romans often executed people by crucifixion. We had seen that in North Africa along the side of the streets. We'd even seen it on our journey on our way to Jerusalem. But it was early in the morning for a crucifixion and there was a big crowd. There had to be something special about this victim. Then we saw Jesus for the first time, and I will never forget it. He was utterly exhausted, but somehow undefeated. He was collapsing under the weight of the heavy crossbar. I'm black, so they noticed me, and I'm tall, strong, so the soldiers grabbed me and said, you carry the cross. I didn't want to, of course. What about the boys who would look after them? But they said, go on, Dad. He needs your help. And Jesus just whispered, thank you. It was not far up the road to Golgotha. They nailed him to the cross I wanted to move on, seen enough of that sort of thing. But somehow we had to stay. We watched him die, forgiving his killers, caring for his friends, crying out to Yahweh who had forsaken him. At the cross, as I look back, we became believers. We just knew that this was the one the Jewish people had been waiting for. He was paying the price of sin for all of us. We were never the same again. We didn't know it at the time, but we went home to Africa as Christians. My wife became a believer. And in due course, she and the boys, well, all of us really, joined up with the Apostle Paul, and we helped him. Did you know that even Rufus even gets a mention in one of Paul's letters? Greet Rufus, he writes, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. At the cross of Calvary, my family found forgiveness, new life, new hope, new purpose. And it all began by carrying the cross. And we've seen that message go to every corner of the world.
In our prayers, we pray for the great continent of Africa. We thank you for that uh, cross-bearing witness to Jesus of Simon. We thank you for the Ethiopian eunuch who was led to Christ by Philip, took the gospel back to his country. And we thank you now for the strength and vitality of the church in that great continent where there are so many problems and so many great joys so much that is wonderful and so much that breaks our hearts. Just in quietness for a few moments, let's concentrate our prayers, perhaps on a country for which we have a particular concern in Africa, and let's pray for that country and for the people who live there. Many in St. Andrews have a particular partnership with different parts of Africa, whether it's Sierra Leone or Ghana or Kenya, Malawi, Sudan. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters and for the people of that wonderful, wonderful continent. As they approach the place of crucifixion, we look at the cross through the eye of the soldier in charge of the crucifixion, the centurion. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. And then they led him away to crucify him. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, 
which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Crucifixions are all in a day's work for me. I've overseen hundreds of crucifixions. Perhaps you think I enjoy them. We Roman soldiers have a reputation for being tough and ruthless, capable of appalling butchery, and it's a deserved reputation. Caesar's armies have conquered the known world, principally by organized military might. We are taught to obey orders, and we do so unquestioningly, even to the point of death, trusting that the gods will reward us. If you've watched Gladiator, you'll know the sort of person I am. But do I enjoy crucifixions? No, I do not. They are always horrendous. It is a terrible way to die and the screams and pleadings of the victims can haunt me for days. Crucifixion of Jesus was no different in many ways. He was one of three we had to string up that morning. True, the beatings and torture he had to go through began earlier in the day than usual. Pilate was strangely reluctant to give his permission for us to get on with it. And there were people in the crowd more upset than I've ever seen at a crucifixion. Most victims, you see, are criminals or ne'er-do-goods of one sort or another. Nobody mourns their departure from this life. But Jesus was no criminal. I could see that. He took the beating with such dignity. To be honest, I thought he felt sorry for us having to do it. He was half dead, really, by the time we set out for Golgotha. He kept falling down, so I got that big African guy to carry the crossbar for him. We nailed him to the cross and hoisted it up. It was just routine, except I kept thinking, this is not right. There's no way this man deserves this. It was as if there were four completely different ways of looking at what was happening. The chief priests and their group were sort of hysterically pleased. 
taunting and teasing him about his claim to be the Messiah. Then there were his friends, obviously good and decent people, totally distraught. Then there were my soldiers, dividing the clothes as usual, not that they were much use. And lastly, Jesus himself. He was never going to last long. He was so exhausted and beaten, but uh, he didn't die like a beaten man. He thought of his friends. He thought of us and forgave us. But it, it was what has become known as the cry of dereliction that I will never forget. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. I understood it. I'd been in Palestine long enough to know what it meant. He was shouting that God had forsaken him. But it was like he knew it had to be that way. He only spoke once more after that, as I recall. He said it with a sigh. Not everyone would hear. It is finished, he said. I looked into his eyes then. I tell you, there was deep peace. I nearly, I nearly said happiness, but how can a dying man be happy? It wasn't a cry of, I'm beaten. It was a cry of, I've won. Then, of, there was a, then of course, there was the earth tremor, a sort of earthquake. We all thought we were in trouble then for a moment or two. Got strangely dark. Later I heard the temple curtain ripped in two. I was in shock, really. Didn't really know what was going on, but I remember saying out loud, he must be the son of God. One of his friends heard me, John, I think his name was. He looked across and smiled at me and he mouthed the words, yes, he really is. Week by week, our streets are filled with the crowds gathering around the hearses, bringing back the bodies of men and women killed in Afghanistan, and they are repatriated. So we're going to pray for those who serve in our armed forces, those who risk their lives to protect our nation, to protect freedom, and for their families. Father, as we uh, remember the experience of the centurion, a, a tough man, a hard man, a soldier, a military man through and through, a man used to taking orders and giving orders, a man of discipline, and yet whose heart was touched as we are touched afresh as we come to the foot of the cross today, a man who sensed amidst the most brutal duties that anybody can be asked to do, uh, that this was very special. And so we pray for those who are called to risk their lives in military service. We thank you uh, for their courage. Uh, we know that they're not saints. We know that they're every bit like us or like the centurion. 
We know they make mistakes, and yet we know that they're often called to make the greatest sacrifice of all. And so we honor them. Thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy as a nation, freedoms often won because people have risked their lives in combat against dark forces in our world. Recognize also how confusing and difficult it can be to know whether a war is just or not. And soldiers, men and women, people in the RAF and in the Royal Navy all get caught up in this great dilemma. We pray for their families. We particularly pray for the families of those who have been killed recently. Your comfort and help. We pray that this Easter time, there might be Christian people around those families, comforting, praying, loving, pointing to the sovereign God and the resurrection of Jesus. Some of us uh, would struggle with any idea of war at all. Others would take a view of a just war. Whatever our view, let's spend a few moments praying for those whose lives are at risk because of war and for their families. So now we look at the cross through the eyes of the second immediate beneficiary of Christ's death, the penitent thief. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with Jesus also heaped insults on him. One of them who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Of course, we had heard that Pilate had freed Barabbas. He was in a cell just along the row from us, and for a while we hoped we might get lucky too. It was obvious to everyone that Jesus was no ordinary man. For one thing, his reputation as a prophet and healer had preceded him. When he came into the city the week before, riding on a donkey, I was working the crowd, picking a pocket here and there. Passover is always a good opportunity as everyone is so busy worshipping and that. Got nabbed though, didn't we? As you know, Roman justice waits for no man. We were destined for the gallows as soon as they caught us. In a way, we were lucky to get away with it for so long. So there we were, 
on three crosses with a great crowd watching. Jesus was in the middle and we were either side. It was terrible. I cannot describe the pain as I struggled for every breath. From time to time, both my mate and I let out great screams in the hope of someone giving us a drink or something, or just in terror, really. But not Jesus. He was, of course, the center of attention. We were a sideshow. But my mate suddenly started joining in with the people on the ground, taunting Jesus and begging him to save himself and us. I thought his behavior was outrageous. We deserved this. We knew the risk when we got into a life of crime. But not only had Jesus done no wrong, I knew he had done loads of good. I'd met a leper once that he healed, a leper. So I told my mate to zip it. And that was when it happened. Jesus turned to me. I will never forget his look of gratitude and kindness. Thank you, he said. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And here I am, telling you the story. Even luckier, if you like, than Barabbas. So thank you, Jesus. Father, we pray in the stillness of this place and as we draw close to the moment when in memory we remember that Jesus breathed his last and cried, it is finished, it is accomplished, it is over, it is done. We pray for those that we know who are looking at the end of their lives, who are close to death. Perhaps we have members of our families for whom death is not far away. We pray that the experience of the, bent, bent of the penitent thief would be their experience, that they would hear the voice of Jesus saying, today you will be with me in paradise. We pray for comfort for them. We pray for ourselves as we care for them. We pray for the doctors and nurses who look after them. And on this day of death and crucifixion, we thank you for the victory over death that the Lord Jesus has won. We thank you that on that cross he has drawn the sting of death. He has overcome the enemy's greatest weapon and stripped him of his power. We thank you that death no longer has dominion over us. But we live under the Lordship of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. But we also recognize that the process of dying as for those thieves on the cross can be a terrible and frightening experience. We pray for those who accompany those through that journey. We pray for ourselves as we contemplate that journey, that we would keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the one who has gone before us in the way, 
one who has showed us how to die and shown us how to live.